Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And welcome back to another episode of our Kardashian bonus show. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Em. Okay, we are now post-Kardashian family therapy, which... I'm not even going to lie to you guys. That was a bit of a vibe shift. I have to tell you, Em, I have not stopped thinking about that episode. I get it. I understand that. Like specifically the rob of it all just felt so vulnerable. And I am not in the camp of people that really criticizes them for not giving us that much now. Like I know a lot of people feel as though the current age of Kardashians, meaning the Hulu show is a lot of performance and a lot less of like the real behind the scenes. I'm very satisfied with what we get. However, I am also aware that like we will never get this level of vulnerable, specifically from Rob. It's just not in the cars for us anymore, which I get, but it makes this feel, I don't know, even more impactful. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say to you is that in this current era of Kardashians, you kind of break it off into two different categories. Like pre when they were as raw and vulnerable and always giving us this inside look that we never thought we were going to get and posts where they're a little bit more polished, a little bit more poised, still give us like this raw amount of information, but in a very media trained way. I now break it off, not into two categories, but three, those two categories and a surprise third option, which is this therapy session. Like this is in a complete category of its own in terms of the rawness, the vulnerability what we were seeing, the insight, like I just could not believe, and I still can't believe that we got that. Right. I mean, there are so many factors that go into that. Obviously the main one, I guess the simplest one is that they just weren't as famous then as they are now. They didn't have that same esteem. They weren't these Kardashians. They were very much the same in a lot of ways, but in terms of the way the world viewed them, it was just different. And at the end of the day, they still had something to prove. You know, they were still these kind of doubted reality stars. And so now, listen, Obviously, you and I, as we always say, we would watch them do anything. And I think back in the day, we would have watched them do anything too, but not everyone would have. You know, they were seven seasons in. They still had to make a name for themselves in order to secure 
what is now reality television legacy. And like this right here is them really securing that spot. In addition to the fact that this time in their lives, you know, around 2012 also happened to be a very transformative time for so many of them. What's funny about that is that you're a hundred percent right. Like their level of fame meant that they still kind of had something to prove. But on the reverse, it's like they also didn't have anything to lose by doing this. Like there was no level of esteem that they were sacrificing by giving us this level of insight into their lives. As they've gotten more famous and as they've gotten more prestigious, that is now a factor. But at this time, it was almost the perfect combination of those two things. Right. And obviously at the time watching this back in 2012, I was eating it up, but I don't think I quite realized just how insane it was that we were getting this because it still felt like at that time they were reality stars first and celebrities second, whereas now they are celebrities first, reality star second. Although I think if you were to ask Kim, Chloe, Chris, being a reality star is a very core part of their identity. I just think that in terms of the way they are viewed by the world, they are A-list celebrities that also have a strong background in reality television. But like at this time, that was the way I knew them the most. Well, that's what they were at this time. They were 100% reality stars first and celebrities second. And the reason that this is the golden age of Kardashians and that these episodes are so pivotal and important is because this is without a doubt the turning point. You, we didn't know it at the time. It's only something that you can see in retrospect, but 100,000%, this is the point where they went from reality stars first, celebrity second, to celebrities first, reality stars second, which is, I mean, it's become the entire nature of their brand. It's their entire evolution. And we are watching that unfold before our eyes in a way that they didn't realize at the time and we didn't realize at the time. On that note, let's get right back into it because as you guys know, we left off mid-episode 16 right after therapy. So we are now post-therapy for their Jimmy Kimmel appearance, which as discussed last week, the most bizarre logistical choice of all time, but here they are. So they're back in glam. Of course, they needed touch-ups after crying in the session. And it's just a little bit awkward. You know, Chloe says in her confessional, Kim's being quiet, distant and just different. Not that I really care if she speaks right now because she said some really unforgivable things in therapy. Just a refresher, you know, we're coming off of the end of that session where basically Kim and Chloe start going at it for a lot of reasons, but probably most notably because of the way Kim was invalidating some of Chloe's experiences with their dad towards the end of his life. And that continues to come up, but like, I think that's what Chloe is responding the most strongly to here, at least. Totally. And there's a guilt that you can see Kim is sitting with as well. Like, as soon as that therapy session ends, Kim didn't walk away feeling like she had gotten things off of her chest. She kind of walked away feeling like she had done something wrong. But also, we were talking about this last episode, how, I mean, the craziest logistical decision was the combination of the makeup before therapy. And then also the fact that they were doing a TV appearance after, live TV after. And I tried to find that episode of Jimmy Kimmel, but it's not online anywhere. But I saw all of these articles after that were like, Chloe, Kim, and Courtney kill it on Jimmy Kimmel last night. Like the three of them were absolutely hilarious. <laughs> Little did they fucking know. And I had actually like remembered this as I was seeing it, but Kim had Instagrammed that she had done Jimmy Kimmel with her dress ripped and that they had to put a safety pin in it, which they show on the show. But I forgot that she like had Instagrammed it. But when I saw it, I was like, I, I literally remember that Instagram. One thing about Kim, she is going to handle a wardrobe malfunction so gracefully because... 
what, 10 years later on this most recent season, it was her, Tracy and Chris in the bathroom in Miami when her entire like latex or spandex ripped. And she's up there, I forget what it was, some like business summit, knowing that her entire ass is out. Didn't that happen when you were at the Wall Street Journal Innovator Awards as well? Yes, right? She said it? Uh, No, I think that the story that you had said was that maybe Chris Appleton like ran up or or they were blocking her as she was coming up because something was ripped. Like, I mean, by the way, like that's not a coincidence. Like that's Kim's ass. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's blurry. I can't entirely remember it, but it's feeling familiar. It makes sense that this is a reoccurring theme. Yes. Yeah. And by the way, amazing problem to have. Like, <laughs> can't believe it doesn't happen to you more. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like, I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle. Like, by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the Viral Turquoise Tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. Okay, so we're now with Chloe and Rob. They're kind of just debriefing everything. And Chloe tells Rob that she filled Lamar in on a therapy session. And Rob says, yeah, I know, he reached out to me. Which again, we've discussed this a million times, but just another anecdote to kind of point to the fact that that relationship between Rob and Lamar was so important for both of them, but you know, specifically for Rob. And I think if you were to ask me like the number one word to describe Rob throughout the session, it would probably be isolated. Like you could just tell he felt so alone in his feelings and his thoughts, I think physically. And so to have anyone that's in the family, but not in it, meaning involved in the sister dynamics and specifically a male, I just think was so important for him. Like, I'm so happy that after what could have been and probably was a very traumatic experience, he had the support of Lamar. Like, I think that to him, that was invaluable. Right, and I think we actually had discussed this exact point, but I just want to say it again. One of the things that comes up during the therapy session is that Rob really doesn't have a lot of friends. He doesn't surround himself with a lot of people. He keeps a very small circle and it's, in the way that he describes it, really just his family. And so- one of the things that we were saying is, yeah, Lamar was so important to Rob because of the male figure he played in terms of the family, but he was so important to Rob because of just the friendship aspect. And that's exactly how I felt with Lamar just reaching out to Rob after it, because it felt like a friend, you know, it wasn't like Lamar was in this therapy session by Lamar not being there. He kind of removed himself as the family figure to Rob in this moment and set himself apart as a friend to Rob in this moment. He reached out as like a completely 
outside party, just checking in to see how Rob was doing. No, you know, ulterior motive, no, nothing other than just support for him. And that's exactly what a friend would have done in that circumstance. And I just, it was really highlighted for me after hearing Rob say that. Totally. And also I think that if you're Rob, it's kind of best case scenario because it's a friend who you don't have to fill in at all. Like he already got the full download. And I'm not saying that Rob wouldn't want to say more things from his perspective, but Chloe's a pretty trustworthy narrator. So it's a friend who is there for you 100%. And also you don't have to re-explain everything to because someone who was there, who's like kind of on your side, already explained it. Like, I feel like for you specifically, that's like your dream. That's my dream. To never have to explain anything and to just have somebody get it immediately. And especially with Lamar, who not only is getting filled in by somebody else, which is like, oh my God, I would die for that in every single circumstance of my life. But also Lamar has just understood the entire dynamic of the family by being a part of it. So on top of it, it's not even like Chloe has to explain to him what happened in therapy and why it matters and what it has to do with their dynamic. It's like all Chloe has to do is pass on what happened and Lamar immediately understands it. And can then be supportive to Rob. Yeah, I mean, that is incredible. That's honestly how I feel like (laughs) with you because you're just like always there at all of my family events. (laughs) So you just like know everything. So when an event happens, I don't have to give you any background. Like you have all of the context. And honestly, in many times, you know the context better than I do because you remember shit better than I do. So yeah, it's wonderful from personal experience. (laughs) Yeah, highly recommend. (laughs) Anyway, so they now reveal that after therapy, Kim had sent them all an email, them all meaning Courtney, Chloe, and Rob. And the email basically is apologizing to each of them. And specifically with Rob, it says, Rob, I'm sorry if we haven't helped you enough. Chloe, you're right. Make it more about family than business because that's all we have. So Robbie, let's all sit down and talk about what your next move is and we'll all pitch in. Chloe, I'm sorry if I invalidate you and your memories. And Chloe in her confessional says, you know, the email is just not very sincere in my opinion. So I don't know. I feel like she doesn't even want to deal with this anymore and just to move on. And Chloe and Rob are basically talking about how they didn't respond to the email. And Rob's like, yeah, I didn't. And obviously Kim felt guilty, but she probably should have spoken to us in person. And Chloe goes, we were getting along really well for a minute. It's sad that it can't last long. I was trying to do therapy thinking it would make everyone happy, but I feel like it kind of backfired. Which I would actually push back against because it certainly didn't calm the situation. It it caused a reaction, but I actually think it was a reaction that ended up being a catalyst for hearing each other more. I think it was beneficial and it got a lot out in the open. I think that where they could potentially run into issues is that if they're doing one therapy session, getting everything out in the open and then not continuing with it to like navigate these tools of then, okay, what do we do with all this information now that each of us has it now that each of us is like, said things to each other in the safety of therapy that we can't necessarily take back. Like, where do we go from here? And so that's where I could see this potentially becoming a larger issue for them where they could say like, maybe this wasn't the best idea. I think it was a good idea, but I could see them like kind of struggling with the aftermath of it if they're not continuing with it, which based on what we've seen, they don't. You know how people that are really into BDSM talk about aftercare (laughs) and like how important it is? I know it's a sharp, sharp, (laughs) sharp transition. Just stick with me for a second. But like that is kind of how I feel about this in the sense of like, when you go through something like that, it's important that, you know, that the aftermath is filled with like a lot of comfort and support and just ensuring that emotional stability. And like they, one thing about them, they definitely got it out there. I would not say the aftercare portion was sufficient. 
Well, I feel like we often say with Kardashian episodes that they end on this like full house note where they could spend the entire episode fighting, but like they don't go to bed angry. Meaning as soon as the episode comes to an end, they have solved their problems and we start the next episode off on a new foot, which happens most of the time. Not all the time. Sometimes their fights continue. But the way that I feel about it is those fights usually end. Yeah, they talk it out a little bit, but they usually end because they're like, okay, we're done with this. Like we can be over with it. We're bored of fighting. We don't care about to do this anymore. Like it's just done. It's never like they have these overly emotional quote aftercare moments where they then like take care of each other in the aftermath of the fight. And they're really there for each other and they hug it out and it's very loving. It's not typically that. And so that is just the way that they operate. And so this situation, even though it was significantly more intense than we typically see, it's also not going to then be solved in a way that's different than how they normally do it. Well, and I think that that's why Kim for a second was a little bit thrown off and that like in her mind, they're over it and they weren't over it yet. You know, like they weren't responding so well to an email because they still felt like there were things left unsaid or like they needed a minute to be okay. Whereas Kim was kind of following what would be their normal procedure. Right. Especially in the idea of like, well, if somebody apologizes, then like you automatically have to forgive them. Like, especially for Kim to do it without being told, without having some big blob fight where she's then instructed to do that, or she feels overly compelled to do it because everyone's kind of telling her that that's the course of action to take. Like, I think for her, she was like, I came to this conclusion on my own. No one told me to do anything. There was no fight after. I just sent out this email on Goodwill. I can't even believe that they wouldn't take it as such and just be able to like completely move on after I said that. Totally, totally. And when she's now discussing it with Chris, because Chris comes over to her house and Kim's saying, you know, no one responded to the email and she thinks it's really rude. And Chris is like, maybe they feel like you're shutting them out. And Kim says, how would I ever shut them out? We do everything together. That's my point. I just want to do a couple of things by myself. And Chris is saying, you know, she understands where Kim is coming from and she doesn't think that there's anything wrong with that. But there's so many stories where people start off as a group and then kind of one person decides to go off on their own. And they may see that as the beginning of the end, which just as a side note for a second, very interesting that this is a conversation happening between Chris and Kim when Chris is very much kind of like Kim's co-pilot in doing the solo move. So I, I totally understand what she's saying because I think it is true and that the rest of them were feeling that way, yet also one could make the argument that she bears some responsibility to also have that conversation with them given the fact that she has the role of manager and is making the exact moves that they are feeling so concerned about. We can talk about that in a second. Anyway, Kim is kind of just reassuring that that's not what's happening. And Chris basically says to her, you emailed them. Maybe they take offense to that. These are things that you discuss in person. Kim's kind of not getting it. Chris is calling her stubborn, but all of those things are true in that, yes, Chloe and Courtney are kind of concerned in a more zoomed out way as to what's going on in the trajectory of their kind of business relationships. And also they are not going to take well to a fucking email. Right. And by the way, we're like in the age of texting now, like an email is significantly more cold than any other form of communication. Even if you texted them, it would be slightly different than sending them an email. I got to be honest with you. There is something about an email that just does not sit right with me in this type of situation. It's like, why are you as my non-colleague emailing me? I'm your colleague and I wouldn't even email you. Right. <laughs> I guess I guess one could make the argument that they technically are colleagues, but this was an email sent as a sister. And like, it, it just, I don't know, to me, it screams 
lack of willingness to actually confront. Like you are choosing to technically confront it, but you're doing so in the least intimate and most like quote professional way. And yeah, I also would not respond well to being the recipient of that when like, you're literally my sister, just call me. It was a strange decision, but it almost made sense in the sense of like, Kim has a very hard time admitting that she did something wrong. And I think specifically in this case, when it wasn't like this therapy session happened and it was everybody against Kim, the the issues that Kim had with Rob and Chloe were kind of these individual moments that happened throughout the session. And then you throw Courtney into the mix because of her, Chloe and Courtney's business stuff. And that was all kind of separate too. And also Kim does not feel like she's doing anything wrong in terms of her business decisions. And so I think for Kim, it's like, okay, if I have this conversation in person, it's like admitting a lot of wrongdoing. Like it takes a lot of guilt to want to like sit down, have a one-on-one conversation and solve it. She didn't feel that way. And so for her, it was like, let me shoot an email. I kind of get the credit for being the one to step up and say something first, but I don't really have to admit all that much wrongdoing. I can kind of just play it off. Like let's sit down and solve our stuff. Less of like, I'm really sorry for the hurt that I caused you guys. Right. Which like great in theory, terrible in practice, but hey, respect your commitment to really not wanting to admit wrongdoing in a more intimate way, but like completely disagree with it. (laughs) Right, exactly. So now it's Kim, Chloe, and Rob at Chloe's. Kim comes over and basically says in her confessional, you know, after talking to my mom, I realized that maybe I should be mature. No matter what happens in life, family always comes first. And she says to them, we went to therapy so that we would learn about each other. That was so heavy on my mind. And I took the time, I wrote you guys this email, but the fact that no one responded, it really hurt my feelings because I thought it was kind of rude of you. And Chloe's like, well, I didn't respond to you for a specific reason. I just thought your apology was insincere. Rob says, I literally didn't respond because I'm not just going to write something if I don't mean it. And Kim says, leaving there, it made me just really want to understand you and help you and be on the same page as you. I wrote that we all should have a meeting and figure out stuff together because when me, Courtney, and Chloe have these big meetings with mom, you should sit there and see what we do, get inspired and motivated, and then be involved in whatever projects you can be involved in. I apologize for being rude and just for kind of being a bitch. So that's pretty much what the email said. And Chloe kind of adds in, and she's sorry for calling me a liar and that we all have our own experiences. Again, that's in reference to the fact that Kim in the therapy session was basically invalidating Chloe's memory of the last year of her dad's life also working in his office, which at the time was like, if you're Chloe, I think a devastating conversation. And now they're able to talk about it in a little bit more of a lighthearted way. And Kim responds to that. And it's like, you know what it is? Cause you're so much younger than us, like five years younger than court. I think sometimes you overhear Courtney and I talking and you think they're your experiences. And then you get offended if they didn't really happen. And they bring up this anecdote about Kim falling into an alligator cage that she says never happened. You know, Chloe swears happens. And like, it does feel like they've kind of moved on in the sense that that conversation isn't stinging as bad as it did. But I still think that if you're Chloe, even the fact that Kim was willing to call what is such a sacred memory to you into question is probably very hurtful. I'm not saying she wasn't over it, but I do think it was very hurtful. I agree. And I think it's one of those things where Chloe in that moment made a very conscious decision to like shift the conversation to being joking. Like it, that takes both participants, right? When you take something that's serious and when you take something where you're apologizing for something that literally came up during therapy and was about your dad's last couple of days and your experience there. Like in order to kind of move off of that topic and accept the fact that the other person is joking, like you have to be equally as willing to move on from that. And Chloe clearly was. And I think the thing here is that there's so much there, like 
and probably so much that they hadn't discussed, so much that they had really suppressed, so much that they had forgotten about, so much that they never spoke about that like if Chloe didn't do it, I think the alternative was not something that she was prepared to get into. And so kind of moving off of it and joking with it was the only option for her and Kim in their relationship right now. Because I think for Chloe, it was just like the idea of continuing a fight after how intense that therapy session was, was the last thing that she wanted to do. And she would just rather be on good terms with Kim than not. Right. All of what you said on top of the fact that as we know, and even though we haven't seen it in this episode yet, in the remaining episodes of the season, we really get a closer look at the complications Chloe was having with fertility. And again, at this moment, she doesn't yet realize what the issue is, which is that she wasn't ovulating, but she knows something isn't right. And I think that she had some awareness that she was going to need Kim in the coming months. And I think out of anyone in the family, Kim was going to be the person she would trust the most to kind of help her throughout this process, especially because as we see, she didn't want Lamar to kind of be the first line of defense. Like I think a lot of times maybe women would want to go with their husbands to these appointments, whereas Chloe felt as though she would rather go with Kim or go alone and then on her own time, after she's had time to digest it, explain it to Lamar. So in a lot of ways, like Kim was serving the role that one could think Lamar would serve. And I think... There was just a part of Chloe that I believe had an awareness of of needing him for that. I completely agree. And I have to say on a completely separate note, we have spent so much of this season in the aftermath of Dallas kind of speculating about what Chloe knew of Lamar's drug use and what Chloe and Lamar were going through and what she was hiding and what she was aware of. And I think we started off the season being like, Chloe is very aware of everything that's going on. She's very aware of how dark things are with Lamar and she's keeping it a secret and she's she's really like hiding that from everybody. Towards the end of the season, I know we haven't spoken about it in a while. My attitude on that and my feelings on that have completely changed. I think that throughout the course of this season and in the aftermath of Dallas, she maybe knew something was up because Dallas was such a dark time for Lamar. I think that she did not even remotely understand the extent of what was going on with him. You're saying right now, like where we are right now. Currently. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I, I definitely don't think the full extent, but I think she knew something wasn't quite right. But yes, com- I'm, I'm aligned with you, I think. Yeah, like I, I just watching them, watching him, it's not like he's being hidden from us either. Like, I don't know. I just, my entire attitude towards it as I watched him in these episodes and I watched the way they interact and the way that she spoke about him and the way that he was to her. I just, there's no part of me that believes that there is something that is being like completely hidden from us. I don't, I, they're not that good of actors. Like they're not that good of liars. I just don't think that that's what was happening here. There was stuff a hundred percent going on behind the scenes with Lamar. Like that is not even a question. I just think that in the beginning of the season, I thought that Chloe knew the extent of it far more than I think she does now at this point watching it. Totally. Although I certainly think she had an awareness that something wasn't right. I just don't think she knew just how not right it was. Yeah. Or like the specifics of that. But she was definitely able to pick up on just the energy shift. I mean, they don't call it a woman's intuition for nothing. Like she's literally living in the house with this man. She sleeps in a bed with him every single night she had an awareness that things were a little bit different. I just don't think she could have imagined the full range of what was occurring. Well, and also, if you remember, there was an interview that she gave where she says, like, 
she wasn't fully taking her fertility medicines because she had a feeling like something didn't feel right to her. It wasn't like she had said in retrospect, I wasn't taking my fertility medicine because I was hiding this big secret and something wasn't right. And I couldn't let people know about it. It was like, that was the point where she was starting to feel like something was off. And that's exactly where we are right now, where she is just starting on this fertility journey. Totally, totally. People have so many different reasons for wanting to learn a new language. Maybe you have an upcoming trip or just want to pick up a new hobby or a skill or just connect with a new culture. I know for me, when I was abroad in Barcelona in college, I'm not going to say that I was fluent in Spanish, but I definitely got to the point where I felt really confident conversing. And when I got home, my dad said to me, Emmy, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. And he was so right. Like I entirely lost it. So Rosetta Stone has been really helpful for me. So if you are in that same boat or you want to learn a new language completely, want to brush up your skills, whatever it is, I want to tell you about Rosetta Stone because they're the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. And it really kind of immerses you in the language that you want to learn. So first of all, they're the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. So they immerse you in many ways. First of all, there's no English translation. So you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which in my experience, I know I'm getting it when I start to think in the language. It's an intuitive process. So you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. And it's designed for long-term retention. Also, in terms of speech recognition, they have a built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation and it's convenient. So desktop and app options with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. And it's an amazing value. You're getting lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone has to offer for 50% off, which is a steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Comms by Celebs listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash comments. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash comments today. Doing your hair has the potential to be such a time-consuming process if you're not using products that really work for you and honestly really work with you. And for me, I'd say generally speaking, my hair is pretty easy to manage, but it does get frizzy. I have a lot of split ends. So I'm always looking for things to manage the frizz. And recently I've been into a new product from Way. It's their anti-frizz cream. So it's a really lightweight cream. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours and also heat protection up to 450 degrees. So you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. Then the thing I really like about it is that it helps reduce and repair split ends while quenching dry hair with intense hydration. So you can feel like it just feels good on your hair. For me, I get out of the shower. I always spray in the leave-in conditioner. I've told you guys about that before, but I love it. A little anti-frizz cream and you're good to go. I also, I mean, I love a lot of things from Way, but I like their detox shampoo. I don't use that every week, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, but I feel like it gives my hair a really, really good clean. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code CELEBS for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code CELEBS. Okay, so we're now with Kim and Chris. And again, in the aftermath of this therapy session, they both have a much clearer understanding of where Rob's head is at and specifically, you know, how frustrated he feels from a business perspective. And so Kim is basically saying to Chris, you know, Rob really is into fashion. He wants to do a men's line. And so maybe there is something to be said for a Kardashian collection men. Like he can come along with us. And Chris is into the idea. And Kim says in her confessional, I feel bad that Rob has been hurting and I want him to feel like he has all the support in the world that he needs. Now, if we have a clothing line, maybe he should have a men's line. There's so much opportunity out there for him, which I will say, you know, obviously we know this ends up being a little bit of a rocky road, but I I believe Kim in that she was taking his concern seriously and like 
she wasn't going to make herself look stupid for it. Meaning if she wasn't down for it, she wouldn't have done it. But I do think she felt this was a natural fit and like she was willing to put in the work. I think Kim's intentions were good here. Like I, I really do the way that she approaches it with Chris. I think she really felt something in the aftermath of the therapy session and really wanted to help Rob, not just help him financially, but also help his self-esteem and like really set him up for success. However, I do think there was a part of Kim that was like, let's do our part. Let's do what we need to do and what Rob thinks that is the expectation of us. And then it's in his hands. And if he can't do what he says he's going to do, then at least it's kind of on full display. Like, I don't think Kim was going into this being like, Rob is going to be amazing at this. I think Kim was doing this from the sense of like, I can get this guilt off of my chest. And if it goes well, then that's best case scenario. And if it doesn't, it's a little bit of a low stakes opportunity for Rob. It's He's doing it with somebody that works with the family that we trust. It's kind of piggybacking off of a brand that already exists. And he's doing it with Scott, where if anything happens, Scott can kind of be the one to pick up the pieces of it. Yeah. Listen, I don't think that Kim's intention was malicious by any means. Like, I don't think she was excited at the idea of him failing. I just very much agree with you that at least if you give the person the help and the opportunity and they fuck it up themselves, you cannot be accused of not helping in the first place. And again, I think she wanted him to succeed and was willing to support him in any possible way. But yes, there was definitely a piece of it was like, okay, this is what you're asking for. Let's do it. And then let's see. Right. By the way, this episode has two kind of side plots. One is Chloe, Lamar, and Kim all taking a trip to New York. And part of that trip is Lamar taking Chloe and Kim to where he grew up in Queens. The second is Kylie and Kendall really pushing Chris and Caitlin to allow them to be homeschooled. We'll discuss those at the end. I just want to finish out the... Rob fashion line of it all. So we're now going to go to the next Rob scene, which is them at the Jenner communications office. And they have a meeting with Bruno again. Kim helped to set this up. He's the guy that helped the girls launch their clothing line. And so he's maybe going to help out Rob and Scott with theirs. And so Scott walks in in his suit and he sees Rob in a sweatshirt. And he's like, oh, you got dressed up for our fashion meeting. And Rob's like, I know, I don't feel good. Scott's like, do you ever? Rob's like, no, I really don't this time. And in his confessional, Scott says, I would do anything I could to help Rob out in a business sense. But to see Rob come into the meeting unshowered in a sweatsuit was very disappointing. And Scott's saying to Rob, I mean, you couldn't have thrown something on for this. And Rob's trying to explain, no, it's Bruno. It's not like that. And Scott goes, I mean, I still think you need to take it seriously. And Scott says in his confessional, you can't cry about that you don't have more responsibility and then you get the opportunity and then you pass it up by not trying. I'm nervous that these people are going to walk out of this meeting because that's not the image that they were looking to sell. And... Bruno kind of walks in and is making a joke about Rob's attire. And is like, oh, is this the look we're going for? And Scott in his confessional saying, you know, so everybody thinks it's so funny that Rob didn't get dressed and he's in his sweatsuit, but it wasn't that simple to get a big meeting set up. And this could be a big figure for us. And you got to shower, get dressed, look presentable, come in with a great open attitude, which if I'm Scott, I totally understand that frustration. One, because specifically Scott happens to take the whole aesthetics of these types of meetings very seriously, meaning I don't think he's ever having a business meeting where he's not in a three-piece suit. And you don't have to be in a suit to have a business meeting. Like Scott's way isn't the only way. However, you do want to show that you put in some effort because this is something that you really care about. And I think it wasn't even that Scott was necessarily so worried about the perception of it because yes, that was a concern, but also, as you said, like this is a friend of the family. It's someone that has worked with them. He understands like, the Kardashian machine in a lot of ways. 
I think for Scott, it was also, and maybe more so that it felt like a little bit of a slap in the face to him. You know, like I am taking this seriously. I'm showing up for you. And even if this doesn't matter to you, you know how much it matters to me and the way that it would appear. And like, I, I get Scott feeling slighted in that way. The way that I felt was, thank God Kim did not walk in during that meeting because my thought on the whole thing is like, you know, if Rob had, if Rob had not been in this position of trying to get these business opportunities and fighting tooth and nail to be included in his family businesses and fighting to be uplifted by them and was kind of just carrying on with business as normal. And this was just another meeting for him. Fine. Show up in a sweatshirt. It's like, it's not the most professional thing. I think it's very strange to do during a fashion meeting, but like, if you feel comfortable enough to do it, that's your prerogative. In this circumstance, Rob was walking into this meeting with something to prove. He was walking into this meeting with something to prove to the person that he was doing business with. Yes, but he was walking into this meeting with everything to prove to the rest of the family. Like they set this up for him. They were giving him this opportunity. They wanted him to succeed. And if I'm Rob, I'm going into this being like, I need to literally put my best foot forward. Like I need to prove to everybody that I can do this. I can take this seriously, that this is important to me, that this is a top priority for me, that I am professional, that I'm ready to take this on. And walking in the way that he did, it was just like the worst argument that he ever could have made for his case. It almost negated everything that he was saying in therapy because it was like, you know, you're so upset and, and and you're fighting for your family to look at you a certain way and help you in a certain way. And their argument is like, well, we want you to show a certain sense of responsibility and then we'll take it from there. And he just, it was, it, to me, it was kind of a slap in the face for him to show up in the way that he did. I was so disappointed. I also just want to add, because I'm so on your page that I do think necessary context, just inserting you and I into the equation for a second. is like, no one hates dressing up more than us. And 100% of the time, we will push it farther than I think most other people will. Like if there's even a slight possibility that you can wear sneakers, we are wearing sneakers to anything and everything. And like, if you can wear cargos, we're wearing cargos. If you can wear sweatpants, we're wearing sweatpants. Or maybe even if you can't, we probably are. So like for you and I, the two girls that hate jeans more than anyone I've ever personally met, for us to be saying that to me, it feels like it carries even more weight. Cause like I so get just wanting to be comfortable and in 99.9% of occasions, I would say that's fine. I just feel like with this one, the first meeting, given all of the, the background, like just do the thing that sucks, but that will make everyone around you feel more at ease and make it feel as though you're taking it seriously. Even though I personally fundamentally disagree with the way that you dress should dictate your level of seriousness about something. But I think this specific example, you're going to a fashion line meeting for more formal wear with your mom and Scott, who obviously dress for the occasion, like it's just, you just got to do the thing. You got to do the thing that you don't want to do because there are times in life where you just have to. And this was one of them. Well, I just think in general, there's a certain level of entitlement that not dressing up for a meeting sends across. And there's a lot of specifically with celebrities, a lot of them that have built up enough goodwill in their favor where they don't have to do that. Where like, if they walked in in a suit, it would be like confusing for everybody in that room. It's like, what are you doing so dressed up for us? Like, you know, little old us in this meeting with you. Rob had not built that up. And so for him to come in a sweatsuit, it was disrespectful. It was like, you are not at the level of your career and your businesses where you can just walk in with this level of entitlement that you don't have to impress the other people in this room. You have to try extra hard to impress the other people in this room based on where you are right now. (laughs) 
Oh, little old us. <laughs> <laughs> little old us. <laughs> no, I told I totally hear you. And also, I think that if you are specifically Rob in that in this point in your life, you don't feel as though what you've provided from a business perspective has been all that noteworthy. Like the last thing you want to be accused of is just profiting off of your family name. Like that's his attitude for this was somebody that was just feeling as though he had a spot at the table simply because his name, you know? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, you know, throughout the meeting, Bruno, the first thing he says is, is basically cracking a joke at Rob for addressing like that. And he makes a comment multiple times, almost to the point where I like felt, ended up feeling a little bit bad because it's like, okay, we get it. He's in sweatpants. Like he didn't kill someone. But I, it, it was, it was certainly confirmed by the way Bruno was handling it, that that was just not the right move. And, and, you know, all to say nothing bad happened in the meeting. It was totally fine. They went through the creative concepts. Everyone is on board. Like, I think generally speaking, it ended up being a positive meeting, but you never want to go into a meeting with a person that could help you create your fashion line and have the first part of the meeting be them shitting on you for what you're wearing. Like, I would say that is just objectively not the best start. Completely. Yeah. Also, especially because it's not like Rob was trying to play off this whole thing of like, oh, this is just my look. Like I'm creating a fashion line. I have a more casual look. You know, basically what they decide in this meeting, which is Rob has a more casual look. They're going to lean into that for that the part of the line. And Scott has a more formal look. And they're also going to lean into that. And so put, they're going to combine those two things together. That wasn't what Rob was leading with in this meeting. He wasn't saying like, you know, this is how I dress. And I really want to walk into a meeting for my line and just show them what they're getting into when they're working with me and my sense of style. It wasn't that at all. Rob was like, oh, I didn't feel well. Yeah. It's like, it's, uh, yeah. It's like, I so hear you and I get it and I'm right there with you. Just this particular time, I think you had to do it. Fifty high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter-looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it's so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes, plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. I want to get into just a couple of last moments or last, I guess, plots from the episode. One, like I mentioned, was Chloe, Kim, and Lamar all in New York together. They were all there on business. And additionally, Chloe and Lamar were going to Queens for Lamar to kind of show Chloe, you know, where he came from and 
what he does when he goes back to Queens. And Kim really wanted to come along for the ride, one, to get the quality time with both of them, but also because she said, you know, I'm very close with Lamar, but like, you know the most about a person when you see where they came from. And I want to see that. Like, I know how important it is to him and I want to experience it. And I really enjoyed watching this because I just think it is so fun to watch someone be so excited to show other people something that is so important to them, whatever it is. And in this case, it was Lamar's hometown and like such a huge core part of his identity. And so for him to be able to take Kim and Chloe there and show them all of his spots where he goes to get his music, where he goes to get his jewelry, you know, the the basketball court that he grew up on, where he was after his mom died and the way the community rallied around him. And like, I just think, I can't imagine if you're him, a more fulfilling feeling than years later, getting to show that to people who are so interested in experiencing it. Like, I, I just... There's something really beautiful about that. Remember I said to you when when my dad was taking me to Brooklyn, I know it's like totally different, but I was so excited by how excited he was, like for him to show me where he played baseball with his friends growing up and the candy shop they used to go to in and his high school. Like, no, none of these places had significance to me, but they had such significance to him. And I was getting such joy from seeing the level of nostalgia he was experiencing. Like that is such a beautiful thing to be able to witness. No, I know it was, it was such a special thing. And it was so special because it was both Kim and Chloe. It wasn't just this really great moment between Chloe and Lamar. It was like the extension of Kim being involved and the way that the family not only wanted Lamar to be there for all of their things and him to feel so included, they also wanted to provide that for Lamar with his special memories and his special moments and his family. And, you know, we saw that from the time that Chloe and Lamar were getting married in that very short turnaround where Chris is honoring Lamar's mom at their rehearsal dinner. Like it was just the relationship that Lamar had with the family and the relationship that the family had with Lamar was the aspect of everything with Lamar that just, it makes me so upset. And I know it's like one of those things where as we do these episodes, like You can't, like, you have to take these happy moments as they were. And this was like a really happy, great moment. I just, I I can't isolate them. Like, I can't separate them in my mind. To me, I was so emotional watching this because of just the level of love that they had for each other and the importance that Lamar had in their family and, and the way that Lamar felt about Courtney and Kim and Kendall, Kylie. Like, I just, I'm sorry. It was, it was incredibly emotional for me to watch this. No, I am right there with you. It was such a special relationship on both ends. Like he fucking loved them and they fucking loved him. And it was so mutually beneficial. And I just, I am so saddened by the entire thing, especially because Kim was at a point in her life where like, she very easily could have lost the plot. Like she was at a time where she could completely lose her her footing and really just be like the least grounded version of herself possible. And I think experiences like this with Lamar, where he is taking her to where he grew up and literally taking him to the basketball court where after his mom died, he slept for a couple of days because it's where he felt the most at home and how like everyone in the neighborhood is watching out for him. Like just these experiences that are as real as it gets, I think were so powerful. And I I am right there with you. I know we sound like broken records and we're going to have to eventually get over it because there's a lot more of this to come, but I have such a soft spot in my heart for Lamar. And I think that that will just never go away. And I, by the way, I don't want it to go away. I mean, I was watching this and actively thinking like I could only hope that my husband has this special of a relationship with my family, with my friends. Like that is exactly how you want to bring a person into your family. And that's exactly how you want to treat the person that you've brought into your family. And 
I'm ju- I'm just upset. No, I know. And also kind of just a meta moment when they're at that shop where Lamar gets his mixtapes and Kim's, you know, looking at all the different covers and she's like, wait, is that me? And like, there's a mixtape with her and Kanye on the cover. Obviously she was like, wait, holy shit. But I think also for Lamar, that's probably a surreal moment. Like now your sister-in-law is on the cover of the mixtapes at the shop that you used to go growing up. Like it's just, there was a lot happening there. And Kanye was on the mixtape with her. Right. Like so much. Also, you know, the other plot of this episode is Kylie and Kendall really pushing to be homeschooled. They feel like they are constantly behind because of how much they're traveling for work. And initially, Chris is really resistant to it. And Kendall and Kylie basically take matters into their own hands. They call the office of this homeschool company. So the office then reaches out to Chris and it kind of forces them to have a meeting in which Chris actually ultimately gets on board with the whole thing and realizes how beneficial it would be for them. I mean, (laughs) this whole plot... I don't want to say it was ridiculous. Like it was, it was very formative for Kendall and Kylie in terms of where they were at in their career, where they were at in terms of their teenage years. Like the decision for them to want to be homeschooled was not taken lightly. They were very involved in their school and their friends and they were on the cheerleading team. Like it wasn't like they hated school this whole time and they just were like, we don't want to do this anymore. Like it was a big decision for them. I just thought that watching Chris be like, you're not trying hard enough was was crazy considering Chris was the one that was controlling their schedules. Like Chris knew exactly how much school they were missing. No, if I'm them, I'm like, wait a damn minute. How are you going to play both sides? Like, how are you going to be the one getting us the job as, what was it, 17 Magazine's West Coast correspondent sending us to New York and then also coming down so hard on us when we missed school for the project that you booked? Like, I don't think there was any, I think that they actually were totally justified in feeling really overwhelmed. And ultimately it ended up being the right move. I think what's very interesting here is that, you know, you watch this and if you don't have any other context, you would think, wait, why is Chris being so resistant to this? You know, of course it makes the most sense and she should know having her whole family in entertainment. But you have to realize that with her older children, this wasn't a thing because when they were at high school age, they were not famous. This wasn't their lives. So she never had to deal with this. You know, the extent of what she was dealing with academically was, you know, maybe some of them not wanting to go to college for their own reasons, which again, nothing wrong with, but like having to balance the two was an experience completely unfamiliar to her. And you see, it took her a moment to get her head wrapped around that. Although now I think she would say, yeah, of course, Kendall and Kylie were going to be homeschooled. Like, obviously that was never going to work, but I just think that was a completely foreign concept to her. You know, what's funny that I, I just remembered, hmm. Chloe ended up being homeschooled. She did, but not for fame reasons. No, not for the same reasons. And maybe that was part of the reason that Chris was a little bit more resistant to it. Maybe she didn't love the idea that she had allowed Chloe to do that, or maybe she thought it wasn't the best thing for Chloe's development. I don't know. She didn't bring it up at all. But I guess the fact that she didn't say to them, you know, we did this with Chloe, probably meant that there was a little bit more to that. Oh, completely. But again, totally different situations. Like this was coming from a place of genuine need because of how hectic their work schedules were at 15 and 16 years old or whatever it was. You know, Chloe's was taking matters into her own hands in a a very different way. Like remember, she basically had Chris sign a paper without knowing, like it was a whole thing. This was, yeah, this was entirely uncharted territory completely. I also just want to end with a final scene, which is Chris in her office and the camera zooms in on a framed picture of Kim and Kanye And Chris is looking at her computer and she goes, what? Fuck me. And Caitlin asks what's going on. And Chris goes, I guess Chris Humphreys is serving Kanye West with a subpoena. He subpoenaed him today for a deposition. Caitlin goes, on what? Chris says, exactly. 
which again, as we know, Chris Humphrey's entire stance on the whole thing was that, you know, Kim acted fraudulently basically. And this was part of his ongoing case, but oh my God, they, they didn't even know what they were about to be in for. When they zoomed in on that picture of Kim and Kanye, I was like, you guys are really doing something here. I know. I know. <sighs> like that was so Chris Jenner. Yeah. What a time. This is a crazy time in Kardashian history. I'm sorry. No, I know. I know you know. It's just nuts. Anyway, we are almost at the end of season seven. We got two episodes to go, which I think will end up probably being like one and a half because the next one isn't isn't scene by scene, but it's a real fun journey. I love this. I love it so much. Me too. Okay, well, I think that is it. We love you guys. Thank you for listening and for letting us do this. And we'll see you later this week. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.